Welcome to A Story of God's Grace, presented by the Alumni Relations Department at Bob Jones University. My name is David Burrell, and I am the Associate Director of Alumni Relations. Today, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with my new friend and fellow BJU alum, Tom Beck, an instructor and developer for Delta Technical Operations and Training, specializing in the Boeing 737 and Boeing C-40 aircrafts. Tom graciously invited us into his home south of Atlanta, Georgia, cooked us dinner, and then shared from his heart about what the Lord has been teaching him. He discussed the patience required when things don't go the way we expect them to, the diligence and humility necessary to be a good testimony in the workplace, and the obedience to the grace God freely gives in order to accomplish all of that and more. So without further ado, here is Tom's story. My name's Tom Beck, and I graduated in 1982 with, believe it or not, a degree in speech education. The Southern drawl has crept back in a little bit since then, but um, basically throughout my journey to where I am today, I've ended up working for Delta Airlines. I'm an instructor developer for technical operations training. Now, what does that mean? I like to say that my job is making sure that pilots have long uneventful careers and retire out of boredom. In other words, I facilitate training for our mechanics, teaching them in uh, safety procedures around the aircraft and uh, just basically familiarizing them with the Boeing 737. So what excites you the most about showing up to work every day and, and doing that for those people? I grew up with a dad that worked for Delta Airlines that was, and with a mom that was enthusiastic about uh, airplanes and travel and all that. And so I kind of grew up around it. And uh, I'm sure later on we'll, when we talk about how I got to where I am now, that uh, we'll talk a little bit about the what led me there. But uh, I'm actually doing a job now about a subject that I'm just really passionate about. Uh, when I tell people how I got to, to this job, I, I tell them that uh, I've talked about airplanes all my life, and now I finally found a job where I get paid to do it. So it's a, it's a pretty good deal. I know we've talked about this prior to now, but now that we're sitting here, can you just tell me how you've seen your what you studied back then and what you learned, and then maybe even an ex, I think you had an experience teaching for a little bit. How have you seen that now come back full circle and kind of play a role in what you do? Yeah, it, it definitely has come back full circle. I went off to Bob Jones. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And when I graduated, I still really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. But I had a real misconception about what ministry was. I went to a Christian school and I was basically told that uh, if you go to this school, you don't need to be a Christian businessman, you need to be a preacher you need to be a missionary or you need to be a Christian school teacher. Well, I wasn't called to preach, didn't have my eyes on the mission field, so that basically left teaching. So uh, I got the education degree. I actually started out in science education and because of my uh, rather miserable math background, I lasted one semester in that. I had to change to something, so I thought, well, social studies education sounds interesting, so I spent about a semester in that. And uh, back then, I don't know if you still do or not, but everybody had to have freshman speech. I really enjoy that. Uh, I had a roommate that was a speech minor, 
And I thought, well, if I stick in education, Bob Jones does have a speech ed major. So I switched over to speech ed, which uh, at least back then gave you a little bit of everything, public speaking, oral interpretation, dramatic production. I got my feet wet in several of those areas. Uh, went out and taught school for a couple of years. And at that point, still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I did know I didn't want to teach middle school and high school anymore. That just was not, it just wasn't working well for me. So I left and actually felt very defeated because I'd blown it at ministry. And it took a long time for me to realize that when God puts a desire in your heart, when he puts a, a ability, a talent there, that he doesn't make mistakes about that. And eventually when the opportunity came along for me to go back to school, get my mechanics license, and then go to work for Delta, uh, I actually started on the path toward where I am today. So I worked for about uh, 20 years just as a mechanic, turning wrenches on the airplane. And uh, I had one foreman that was very good at pushing people who could do a little more, could do a little bit better. And he said, uh, I've got a little proposal for you. The training department needs somebody from base maintenance to go help them develop some curriculum. It's just a temporary thing, but I think you'd be good at it. And so I went over and talked to him. And like most people, I don't like getting out of my comfort zone. So with a lot of fear and trepidation, I decided I'm just gonna do it. And so I got to know some of the people over there, got a little bit of experience developing some curriculum and decided, I really like this. And so an opening came on the Boeing 737 team over there and I uh, put in my application. I was accepted and I've been there for the last 10 years. And all that secondary education experience actually has come full circle. I develop curriculum, I give tests, I grade tests, and it's just amazing how the Lord has brought all that back together. And you do it for Delta and for other third parties? We do it, uh, I do the bulk of the training for Delta Airlines, but the Boeing 737 is the most popular airliner in the whole world. There's more of them out there than any other uh, airliner. And so a lot of people have them and uh, other companies will come to us and uh, ask us to provide training for their people. Uh, our customers do include the United States Air Force, and we also do training for five of the C-40 squadrons in the United States Navy. Oh, and don't let me leave these guys out. Uh, VMR-1, the Marines Fleet Logistics Support Squadron, uh, they have a squadron now too, and uh, my last class I had two Marines in the class also. And then you mentioned earlier you've worked on the uh, President's planes from time to time, and yeah, we, we, Delta has never worked on Air Force One. Uh, the Air Force is pretty picky about that, but uh, we regularly work on airplanes from Andrews Air Force Base, uh, both C-32s, which is, we call it Air Force Two. It's the plane the Vice President, uh, Secretary of State First Lady might fly on, as well as uh, some of the Air Force's C-40s, which are a military, 737, which might carry the First Lady or the Secretary of State or whoever. 
So we actually do uh, maintenance on those at our maintenance base and we provide training for their maintenance personnel also. That's so cool. So I spoke with a friend of yours today. Uh, his name is Sean Register. Oh my goodness. And uh, he told me that I should ask you about um, whether or not you learned patience as a result of your experiences in Delta being uh, maybe not getting quite what you had hoped for after a certain training was finished or if that was something that you already knew about and you were just practicing uh, in your time waiting until you got to this position. Seems like I've spent a lot of my life waiting on stuff. Uh, so that was something that was really not new to me at Delta. Uh, I tried teaching in a Christian school and that just didn't work for me. I, I was really not cut out at, for it at the time for, for just a number of reasons. I got the job at Delta and about a year and a half into it, uh, somebody decided to invade Kuwait and Eastern Airlines went into bankruptcy and some little company called ValueJet started up and it was a perfect storm and Delta went into a financial downturn. And instead of being a mechanic in about three years, which was the norm, they had a hiring freeze on and had to wait for seven years. I'm glad I stuck with it, but it was really kind of a tough time. And I was questioning, well, should we, you know, several, some of my friends bailed out and went out, uh, elsewhere. Uh, I mean, that's happened um, in uh, the mid 2000s, Delta went through bankruptcy, which was no fun. And uh, I don't know, I've had things through the years that uh, it seems like when the Lord has made me wait on something, he's always waited until there, I look back 2020 hindsight and I can see that there was a reason for it. When we actually moved to this home, I was still a mechanics helper. That was what I started out in and that was what I was stuck in that first seven years. So when we kind of laid out what we could afford as far as a house, that was my perspective. And less than a year later, I made mechanic. And the Lord was really keeping me from making the same mistake a lot of my friends had made and jumping in way over their heads uh, by not being a slave to a huge house payment. Um, the Lord was able to use that to, for us to do a lot of other things. Uh, my wife was a teacher in Christian schools for over 30 years. And so uh, it wasn't like we had two equivalent incomes throughout this whole thing. So it just, every time that the Lord has made us wait, I can look back and say, yeah, there was a reason for that. I want to know, and like I said, you've talked about it a little bit, so you can tell me it's redundant, but it's that question about what it took for you to find God's calling for your life. Because from what you've said, you kind of either didn't know or you thought you knew, but then it changed. And so has there been anything that's been a constant for you that you say, looking back, this is when I knew that was the next right step? I think a lot of it was just understanding that that was what finding God's will was, was looking for that next right step. Because uh, I, I tried Christian education with some anxiety and some misgivings. Uh, when, my, my last day of teaching, I felt very depressed, but there was something inside of me that was going, thank goodness it's over. I don't know what I'm going on to next, but I was just miserable because I really was not 
um, I mean, quite frankly, there were a lot of maturity issues I had that it, I, I just wasn't ready to stand up there and lead a bunch of kids and, and teach school. Um, so, uh, you know, I left that feeling very, very defeated. Uh, I even got a few comments from people. Why'd you decide to quit? And that just felt like somebody was sticking a knife in and twisting. I, I think I had one person and I, I can still see this lady's face. You know, we're really going to miss you and I appreciate you teaching our kids. And I was like, oh, you don't know how much that helped me. But still, I just kind of meandered and like, well, what do I do now? And I can remember uh, going to seminars, reading books, and just trying to figure out what is the magic thing that's going to make all this click. And I remember I went to a men's conference one time and there was a lot of uh, uh, back slapping and chest beating and rah, rah, rah. And I came away like, is that all that? Uh, I, I was hoping to really come away with this great spiritual victory and it didn't happen. And uh, I know one of the questions you shared with me was uh, about who was the greatest influence on your life. That would be very hard for me to pin it down to one person. But this is where those two questions kind of come together because uh, our pa uh, Norman Pyle was pastor for years at Bible Baptist Church uh, in several different locations, uh, originally up in Atlanta, later in Riverdale, Georgia, and finally in Henry County, Georgia. A real pivotal moment for me was uh, in one of his sermons or Bible studies or something, he was talking about what it takes to grow in Christ, basically to for sanctification to take place. And he said the first thing is obedience. And he said that's why uh, sometimes you'll see some new believer that is just making leaps and bounds, and you're like, what's their secret? He says they're just, they're very obedient. They see something they're supposed to do, and they do it. And he said, the second thing is what everybody hates. It takes time. And he said, there are things I understand now I didn't understand 10 years ago. If the Lord gives me another 10 years, there'll be things I understand then I don't understand now. And that just, I'm like, that's it. I don't need to find the magic seminar, the magic book. The, it's just, uh, it takes time and just making that next right decision. And funny thing, Pastor Pyle was just such a, a humble man. Years later, I told him, you know, you said something in one of your sermons that just really made a difference in my life. And I told him about that. And he goes, I said that? Well, if I did, I, I'm glad it was helpful to you. <laughs> That's great. I want to ask you another question that Sean prompted me with. Something that he mentioned was, not only were you an example as a fellow church member, but he said it would be interesting to hear where he goes or what he leans on to be uh, a Christian in the workplace. Because you have been working in uh, what some could call the secular workforce for over 30 years. And so I'm curious to find out from you, like, what is it that, that allows you to be salt and light without burning out or, or running out of savor? Well... Part of my growth as a Christian while in the workforce, honestly, when I started, there were just certain things Christians didn't do. And uh, that was 
sort of how I started. By being consistent, people kind of, I think, came to respect me. Uh, I mean, more than once when I was very new on the job, you know, hey, Tom, you want to come out and get drunk with us? Like, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. Or you want to be the designated driver? No. I mean, all kind of stuff like that. Uh, and then, but what would happen to be somebody be going through some kind of a tough time and, well, he's the kind of religious guy. Let me share that with him. And so, you know, that gave me an opportunity to try to be a help to them. But one thing that really helped me grow in the workplace was I discovered that there were other Christians out there that hadn't gone to my alma mater, that didn't look quite like me, that really, really loved the Lord and were just as genuine a Christian as I was. And uh, I had several good brothers in Christ over in the hangar that we just really you know, fellowship with each other. But I think through, and, and, and any consistency was not just, you know, Tom Beck's own personal strength. It was just, you know, the Lord, you know, helping me, the Lord uh, bringing people into my life to strengthen me, you know, iron sharpening iron. So even people who are not believers, maybe from different religions, uh, there's an understanding, you know, I started out just basically following the rules that Christians are supposed to follow, okay? And it, as I was growing just from being around other believers there at work and just being around good preaching and being, and just learning more about the Bible, I learned that being a Christian is more than just following a set of rules. Acting as though you're holier than thou does not uh, that's not exactly good evangelism. Uh, being consistent, uh, not condemning the unsaved for acting like the unsaved. I mean, that's that's what unsaved people act like. But just showing in the love of Christ, trying to be an example, uh, that I think is just a way that I've grown throughout the years there, working in a secular environment. So that's a real hot button topic in our BJU community right now is that today's BJU has more of a focus on the heart for the Lord and his things and that not that that the previous you know version of Bob Jones was doing it wrong but that the shift has been from the rules that you follow to the love that you show and I don't know how you feel about that or if you if you have any thoughts about because you obviously you did learn that there were rules that you could follow, but then you've learned how to apply the love to that. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if you find that there's really a marriage of those two things or not. I'm, I'm, I'm not ever going to trash Bob Jones, if you will, for the way some of the things used to be. I will say that while I was there, uh, there were some times that I really struggled spiritually. I could have used just some one-on-one -on -one caring discipleship instead of you need to do this this and this you know because it's more than that and i i god used everything he brought into my life for a sovereign reason he used that at bob jones and uh even in some of my experiences later to really just chip away at some 
quite honestly, some really obnoxious pride. I'd gone to a Christian school all my life. I was a good kid. And I'd gone off to a Christian college. I was going into uh, Christian ministry. I thought I was in. And God used a number of things just to tell you, oh, no, you're not, you know, and to, you know, basically cut me down to size. God used all that for a reason. I am very thankful, and I could even see this as my kids went to Bob Jones, both my daughter and my son went there, uh, that there was, the trajectory was starting to, to turn toward discipleship instead of just merely, you know, these are the rules, follow them. And so I was very, very, very glad to see that. Yeah, I was going to ask you why it was important for, because it seems like your kids followed in your footsteps where they got their undergrad at BJU and then they went on to get further training or licenses or degrees. And so I just didn't know if you had any thoughts about just seeing the similar patterns and like you said, seeing that that was the trajectory, if that was one of the reasons that you were happy to, to help them through. Yeah, and uh, one thing that's been very... Uh, gratifying to me is that both of my kids are not little clones of me. Uh, they're not. They're their own people. Uh, there are things that uh, we disagree on and agree to disagree on, but overall, you know, the trajectory of their lives, uh, they love the Lord, uh, they're in church, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled about that because I have seen, um, I've seen children, I say children, <laughs> I've seen young people uh, in their same age groups that as soon as they got out, it was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. And uh, one thing I always try to do with my kids, and I, I've had this conversation with them before, uh, nobody's a perfect parent. But I always wanted them to understand that if I had a rule, this is the reason why. I wanted to have an understanding of that. Well, why do we do this? And if I couldn't give them a good explanation, then is that really a legitimate rule? So I, I always wanted them to understand if there was something they chose to do or chose not to do, what is the reason behind it? I wanted them to not just be rule followers, but to it to be a true conviction and for them to come to that conclusion themselves too. What is your favorite part of being a husband and a father? Hmm, that's hard to pin down. I love going on adventures with my wife. Uh, I like to say she is my uh, adventuring buddy, my fishing buddy. I am married to a lady that loves fishing. So, uh, yeah, I don't have to go fish by myself. Uh, I love traveling with her. Um, love doing things together. Uh, I love seeing my kids uh, prospering with the training that they've gotten. My son, he'll uh, kill me for saying this, uh, he was the kid that you just about had to duct tape down to get him to sit still and do his homework. And he got his business degree at Bob Jones. And uh, his senior year, he announced, hey, Dad, I'm getting a master's degree. I was like, really? And he went to Clemson, got a degree in architecture. He's one of those people that learns by touching things, manipulating things, and he's a very social person. 
he was absolutely in his element and he's out working for an architectural firm doing great now. Uh, my daughter, Rachel, uh, our personalities are very similar. She is, uh, she kind of thinks through and processes things and uh, she went and got her nursing degree, uh, got out work just as a nurse for a few years, <clears throat> decided to uh, get a master's degree in nursing education, uh, took on the role of infection preventionist the first week in January of 2020. So she had quite a learning curve that next year. But uh, it's just, it's really delightful to see uh, our children uh, just going out and succeeding. And like I said, at the same time, still having a heart for the Lord. I know of a story I want you to tell, and then I think we'll be done, because I know your voices. And you've, you've said some incredible stuff so far, so it's been really special. But uh, what's the most important thing you do every day? Well, the most important thing I do every day, if you're talking about just my work or just in general, uh, you know, obviously the most important thing is getting in God's Word. And uh, uh, just to be transparent, when I start getting busy and that gets put aside, I can tell. So that's really the most important thing that I do. When I get to work, uh, really the most important thing I do, I make sure that the young men and young women, which most of them are a good bit younger than me now, that uh, number one, they stay safe themselves on the job and they provide a safe, reliable product for our customers and that they understand that every day they're touching things that uh, could get them killed. They're working around dangerous objects and uh, that they have the safety of a whole airplane load of customers uh, basically in their hands and just impressing that on them and making sure that I train them uh, in such a way that they're conscientious uh, maintenance providers and uh, that our customers are safe. That's cool. Yeah, Sean told me that you were um, working on like interior maintenance mm -hmm. for a long time before you switched to the mechanical, even though you had your yes. license, you had that hiring freeze. So, but it is neat that you've seen the whole plane now. Yeah. And so now as you're teaching people. Right. Yeah, when I got to the, the hangar and I was like, I finally made mechanic. And when I was a mechanics helper, every night I went in, I changed carpet, I worked on seats, I fixed window shades, I fixed overhead bins. Uh, we worked on the entertainment system some, uh, but every night it was the same thing. Unless the lead came up and said, hey Tom, I've got a special job for you tonight. And this, this will be good experience. It usually involved grease or lavatory or something like that. And so when I finally got to the hangar, I was like, finally, finally, I'm gonna get out of that cabin and they said, okay, you worked as a helper on in uh, international line maintenance. We'll put you in cabin school. You already know the cabin pretty well. And I was like, oh, no. So I at least got to do some, some sheet metal work there and learn that. And then um, later on, I had an opportunity to go from that skill to sheet metal skill. So doing structural repairs on the aircraft, uh, crawling inside the fuel tanks. Uh, I was skinny enough to do that back then. Uh, I'm still skinny enough, I'm just not limber enough to do it anymore. So I did that, I worked hydraulics work, so I've done a little bit of everything. But then uh, when I got to the training department, one thing that is unique about Delta, 
is a lot of other uh, maintenance training organizations, uh, the people in the organization specialize. And if you ask a question to the systems guy about the engines, he'd say, well, I think it's this, I, I really have to ask the engine guy over here or the avionics guy. At Delta Airlines, you have to learn the entire airplane nose to tail. So I was very comfortable with flight controls, cables, hydraulic systems, but I really had to come up to speed on the avionics and so on. So uh, at the end of the day, you start off from the introduction of the course, and when you get all the way to the end, you're teaching them how to repair on autopilot and return it to service, uh, the thing that basically flies that airplane all the way down to the concrete safely and puts it on the ground when you're in very low visibility. So, um, yeah, it, it, it took a while. I did have to be patient, but uh, had some good experiences, learned some really good stuff, and had some good times over the years and got to know a lot of really great folks. I want to ask you about a story your daughter told me, which was that somehow you were able to get a missionary plane repainted. So, yes. would you be willing to tell me that story? Oh, absolutely. And I'd love absolutely. to hear that. Uh, well, Rachel's, um, was it her sophomore year in, in high school, uh, a gentleman named Jan Milton, who's actually a graduate of Bob Jones, uh, he has a mission called Operation Renewed Hope. And among the many things they do, they do medical missions trips overseas. And he came around to our church and said, you know, we're going to be taking a medical missions trip to Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And uh, what we'd like to do is have some of the folks from your church come along, even some of the teenagers. We'll teach them to do triage, uh, crowd control, and so on. So she went on that trip with... Uh, Mr. Milton, uh, had a great time and really came away just absolutely sure I want to be a nurse. So uh, a couple years later, I got a call from Jan and he said, uh, you're Rachel's father, aren't you? I said, yes. And he said, and she's, you're an air, aircraft mechanic, aren't you? I said, yeah. He says, well, we have an airplane down in the Bahamas. There's a missionary down there that has it. Uh, he and his wife retired, went into missionary work. Uh, they use the airplane for all kinds of mission work. They'll fly people to Miami to the hospital. Uh, if a hurricane comes through, they deliver, deliver relief supplies. But the people down there have no trouble flying in the airplane. But when I bring young people down from the United States, they take one look at the paint job and go, are we going to fly in that thing? It was a 1967 Piper Aztec, and the paint was 1967 vintage paint, that, just like it had left the factory. So it looked pretty rough. And he said, I am just trying some way to find out some way to help this guy get the airplane painted. So I said, well, I'll see what I can do. And I asked some of the guys I knew that worked on general aviation aircraft, and everybody asked. It was going to be really, really expensive to get it done. I got to thinking, and I said to myself, self, Delta has painted airplanes for nonprofits before. All they can do is say no. So I wrote a letter to the uh, vice president of maintenance and figured I'd never hear anything. Well, a couple days later, my foreman comes walking through and says, hey, Tom, they're going to paint that airplane for that friend of yours. I was like, Mike, what are you talking about? What airplane? What? The Aztec? He goes, yeah, yeah some kind of little airplane. I'm like, they're really going to do it? Yeah. So anyway, they uh, made arrangements, flew the airplane in. Uh, 
And they said you can have any color you want as long as it's some combination of delta red, delta white, or delta blue because that's what we got in stock here. So they brought the airplane in. And um, the next question was, okay, before you paint an airplane, you have to take stuff off of it to get it ready to paint. So I said, well, how are we going to do this? Well, our uh, general foreman said, we've got approval, you know, you and several of the other folks, I was working with several other people that were uh, believers there that were on our crew, uh, we'll let you use your time on the shift to get the airplane ready for paint and then put it back together when you're done. So we had to pull uh, uh, several flight controls off and pull cowlings off and so on. So we did some work. I did one little uh, sheet metal repair to one of the engine cowlings that had a crack in it. And uh, so they stripped the plane, painted it, got it ready to put back together. And uh, uh, funny thing, one day the um, FAA came driving by and we saw this and he goes driving by. And all of a sudden he comes back and the guy was just looking at it with his mouth hanging open. And he was just like, I don't believe what I'm seeing. He came in there and he says, you cannot work on this airplane here under your repair station license that you just and so my foreman was there talking with him and he said uh well we're not working on it under part 145 of the federal aviation regulations we're working on it as a general aviation aircraft and tom here is going to sign the logbook off when he's done i was thinking i guess somebody does have to do that and i've been working on big stuff and well an airplane's an airplane so uh he asked us, are you going to balance the flight controls when you're done? Well, yeah. Manual says you have to balance them once they've been painted to see it. And he goes, I want to see that. Okay. So we got ready, called them up. and said, we're ready to put the flight controls back on. Well, I'm busy today. Can you do it? Late? Call me back later. Okay. So I called him back. Uh, well, I just go ahead and put them on there. You, you know what you're doing. So balanced them, put them back on. Uh, the, uh, Missionary came up to pick the airplane up, came walking out into the hangar, and they were just, they couldn't believe it. They're like, oh my goodness, it looks so beautiful. And so uh, we all got to, all the crew got to meet them, and uh, so they pulled it out right behind the hangar there, fired the engines up, and this little bitty Piper Aztec goes taxiing out right between a 767 and a 757, flew off and flew fine. <laughs> and... Uh, they, uh, I think about less than a month later, he was actually flying relief supplies down to Haiti where it had had that earthquake and they were flying back and forth in there. So it was just amazing how the Lord worked that out. And uh, right in the middle of COVID, uh, Jan called me again and he said, you know that Aztec we got painted a while back? And he said, yeah, does it need, he says, no, we've got another missionary with another Aztec. Do you think they'd do it? I said, all I can do is ask. And sure enough, they did. Has there ever been something where you look back and you're like, this is probably the hardest thing the Lord asked me to do. Um, but now that I've done it, or even in the midst of it, I can see His purpose for, for, for asking me to trust Him with it. I think it's the times when I've had to step out of my comfort zone. That is a, and, and I've had people tell me, well, everybody's like that. Well, how come some people seem to do it all the time? Uh, I've, there have been times I've had to step out of that comfort zone and um, I've learned that 
yeah, if that seems like it's the right decision, go ahead and do it. When uh, as much as I love teaching and I, I feel like, I mean, on my resume, uh, when I put in for the jobs and instructor, I put, you know, I feel like I have the heart of a teacher and I really do think that I do. But still that was, that was security, just kind of doing the same thing every day and all that. But at the same time, I was doing the same thing every day. And I felt like I can do more than this. But this is going to be just so different from what I've been used to for the past 20 years. Um, I think that was one of the harder decisions I've made, but all through, I've, I've struggled with um, just kind of getting comfortable and, you know, hey, this is something I really need to do, even if it takes me out of my comfort zone. Um, I've had a few difficult decisions like that over the years. But, but, but uh, looking back, you can see once you got outside of your comfort zone, you saw what the Lord had. Yeah, yeah. The Lord was always good. I mean, I thought, what if I get to the training department and I just can't cut it? I mean, I'm not really sure what's expected of me. And, but uh, the Lord was good, and I've, 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 I feel like I've thrived over there. Uh, I, I, I really, I tell people this is the most fun I've ever had at Delta Airlines. It's the hardest I've ever had to work, but uh, it's, it's very fulfilling. It's like our, our uh, director says, you know, if you don't think that I value you, think about this. I fly people in from all over the United States and overseas to put them in a room and listen to you talk. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Lord, the Lord is always uh, taking care of me, just in so many ways. Um, um, really more than I can number. On behalf of Alumni Relations at Bob Jones University, I would like to thank you for listening to this story of God's grace. Be sure to subscribe for more stories like this one. And if you know someone that you think I should interview, please reach out. Our email address is in the show notes, and I am always looking for the next story that our team can tell. He uh, actually, they asked him if he wanted a logo on the tail. Goes, yeah, I'd kind of like, I'd like an eagle, you know, and it was flyingforgod.org and, you know, a Bible there. And the guys, well, we got a guy here that is really good with an airbrush. And we we're all like, oh. I mean, my view of an airbrush yeah. was, you know, Elvis, you know, yeah. side of the road. It was gorgeous. Only thing he got one extra toe on one of the eagle's <laughs> nice. talons and said, you know, can you fix that? Because, uh, yeah. So he did an olive ridge, put one of the leaves over the eagle's talon there Perfect. so it looked right. But it looked really pretty.